Now, joining us here in the studio is Pete Weatherburn, our vet. And uh, Pete's going a bit global now. He's sort of taking in China to his home city of Edinburgh. What are we talking about? Black and white. Yes, they are. Two penguins. No, it's not penguins. It's panda bears. Yeah, indeed. Um, Although, I have to say, Edinburgh Zoo does wonderful penguins as well. I used to work at Edinburgh Zoo when I was a vet student, I used to volunteer and I used to go along every week and uh, my job was to feed the penguins and take them for a walk because what happens is that there's a penguin parade, the penguins go out around the zoo and this, um, I used to walk ahead of them and they used to follow me and then follow me back into the cage afterwards. So the penguins are magnificent in Edinburgh Zoo but I happened to be in Edinburgh last weekend anyway to see my family and while I was there these pandas arrived so I blagged my way into the press conference there and um, thought I'd have a front row seat with um, just me and the old pandas and how'd you get on? well um, well it was a, it was a really nice sandwiches and coffee at the press conference but the the pandas there was no sign of them because as you probably heard that these two beasts were, were brought in from China on a FedEx aeroplane and they were, they were then transported in a, a kind of a hidden away in a in a, a big specially made truck into their new specially made um, living quarters um, where they will remain in isolation for two to three weeks. So that means that nobody could see them other than the cameraman snapping a quick shot of them as they actually passed from the and plane. Well, what's the transportation? Are they sort of drugged or something? They're not drugged at all, no. It's just the environment is kept as absolutely tranquil and natural as possible for them. And so they don't want to have any extra stresses for the poor beasts by having people peering at them and flashing cameras at them and all that sort of stuff. And is there so, any benefit to them of going halfway around the world? Like, Well, you know, I, I'd be ambivalent about this stuff because um, what Edinburgh Zoo would say is that this is an important part of conservation of the species and that they'll be doing certain types of research, including genetic analysis and behavioural observation, which will improve the chances of the pandas breeding and producing new young pandas to be returned to the wild. But... At the same time, they're saying, well, you know, we're spending upwards of 700,000 a year on these pandas. And, you know, for this to work, we're going to have to get increased visitor numbers of about twice as many. So, you know, they're, they're kind of on the one hand saying we're doing this for the conservation of species. And on the other hand, they're saying, well, we're hoping it's going to really boost visitor numbers. And you're kind of saying, well, OK, what's the real reason here? And in fairness, it's probably a combination of those two things. It's Pandas are seen as a mega draw. Um, people like to go and look at pandas. They look kind of humanoid with their, like, you know, their, the way they behave looks kind of cute and cuddly. So people like to go and see them. And especially if they had a baby panda, which they hope to have, you know, that's going to pull in lots of people. So there's that side of it, and then there's the conservation side of it, which, which is the most important and which is the real motivating factor depends on your perspective. So the likes of the PETA, the People's, People for Ethical Treatment of Animals, they strongly believe it's a purely a commercial move, whereas the people on the side of the Jew would say, look, it's side of the zoo, they would say, look, it's just, we need to do this for the species, and that's the bottom line. Right. So what's the truth? Judge for yourself. Right. Well, you'd go and see them. Um, well, I, I have to say, I, I, I like some zoos, and I like visiting zoos once in a while, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't be that pushed to go and... T- no, I really wouldn't. Um, it wouldn't be a big thing I'd like to do myself, I have to say. Now, to move on a bit from Edinburgh Zoo, I also happened to visit another zoo yesterday, which was um, Dublin Zoo. And I went there to film for TV3. We're doing a um, 
next week um, there's going to be an, an, um, a video of what we filmed yesterday and I have to say I was really really impressed with Dublin Zoo now I've, I've also I've had a sort of ambivalent view of Dublin Zoo over the years I went when I came to Ireland first 20 years ago and I remember I was so disgusted by, by seeing a, a, um, a polar bear pacing backwards and forwards and looking really distressed and I wrote a letter to the zoo director uh, complaining because I, I, I found it so upsetting to look at that but the zoo has been transformed in the last 20 years it's one of the parts of Ireland, I think, which is which really did benefit from the the, the the boom, and they've invested hugely in new facilities, and they've had these um, zoo designers from Seattle have come over, and they've made new pens and and um, new areas for animals like. Um, Asian elephants and giraffes and gorillas. And so there's no bars anymore, there's no cages, not even any glass between you and the animals. There's only a small moat of water which has been calculated to be just too wide and too deep for the gorillas to jump over. And so you feel like you're as close as I am to you just now, Declan, just, you know, a few feet away from these gorillas and they're sitting there looking at you. Um, but we know that they can't get across that, that moat of water, so they're very safe. So it looks very natural uh, and the animals have, their environment is carefully designed and controlled so that it's kind of fun for them. They've got, you know, they're fed in ways that make it more interesting for them and people are paying much, much more attention to ensuring that they have interesting lives rather than just being stuck in a barren area with nothing to do. Um, it's a particularly good time of year to go to Dublin Zoo right now. And you might say, well, why on earth is that? Look, it's cold and wet outside. Well, okay, you need to wrap up warmly before you go. Um, but what's exciting for them this month is that for the first time ever, they've nearly got a million visitors. They've got something like 988,000 so far. So they just need another... 10 or 15,000 visitors and they've got to the million mark. And so to encourage that to happen, they're having a special deal this month. So if you go to the, zoo's, the Dublin Zoo's Facebook page and you, you log on to that you say, and, and click on like, they'll give you a voucher which lets you into the zoo for just €2.50. So you get a family um, trip to the zoo for €10, Euro, which, I mean, it's going to take you all day to go around the zoo. I think it's great value. It's not, zoos are normally quite expensive. It's normally like €40, €50. Euros do they still do these elephant rides and all that? Or all those no, stuff. Not st the big, big focus is on conservation and education. And they do really, really well at that. When I was there, there was a school trip going around, all these sort of six, seven, eight-year-old kids going around, and one of the zoo educational staff was giving talks to them. And they were, she was just doing it so well. And these kids were all paying attention, and they were answering the questions. And she was saying, you know, what, what, what do you think um, elephants eat? And she was really engaging the kids, and they're learning heaps. And it's, it's just, um, it's really good to see it, because it, at, at the heart of it, it is about... Um, conservation of nature. Ten percent of the ticket of, of the ticket um, proceeds from Dublin Zoo go actually go out to to other countries to um, help conservation actually in the wild, and that's really where the focus should be as well. Not just on putting animals in cages and and, and preserving them. It should be about conserving nature in the place where they actually live. And so, ten percent of what you pay to go to the zoo goes towards that. So yeah. there's lots of good stuff happening there. Right. Um, I used to hate zoos. Um, mm. When I was a kid, I used to like them first because they used to like the sea lions. And then I yeah. started feeling sorry for all the animals and all that sort of stuff. Well, yeah. And and still, you think because it goes psychologically mad or something. So, well, it, at, um, at its worst, still many zoos, unfortunately, and even parts of Dublin Zoo may still have aspects that aren't ideal. Um, so I think... That, that was definitely the case 20 to 30 years ago. I think the best zoos nowadays, they're so well designed that you, you have to say, well, you know, that animal 
the animal isn't. But tell suffering. me what the conservation is. Is it the fact that you've taken? I mean, let's put it this way: you've taken all these animals out of their natural homes, mm. and they've, you've put them into the middle of Dublin in a park, um, in mm. a small little confined area, and you call it conservation. Ren, how is that conservation? Well, because I suppose what you're doing is you're they're breeding. So when I was there looking at the gorillas yesterday, two of the gorilla females they were holding um, gorilla babies in their arms. They got young gorilla babies, so you're breeding them. So you're you're um, preserving the species in that way, I suppose. And the ideal, I suppose, then is to reintroduce those ones into the wild. They reckon that gorillas, for example, will become extinct in this century because there's such a pressure on their wild, uh, you know, the area where they live because of the Ebola virus and because of hunting of gorillas. So, you know, that's, zoos could actually preserve a species in that situation. Mm. I mean, I, I, I still have reservations about it like yourself. I still think, well, you know... I suppose you tend to humanise it, don't you? You tend to think, well, would I like to be just shut in a space and told to live there for the rest of my life? Listen, I'm just going to interrupt you uh, on this because mm. I'm just looking at the time and just mm. a question here. Uh, ask Peter, the small terrier in the garden next door to me um, that I feel lives in appalling conditions out in all weather, barks day and night with the cold, in, um, with the cold weather and all that sort of stuff. Um, is this weather not just so bad for it? Is this uh, treatment disgraceful? It may, it may be disgraceful. It's actually very difficult to do anything about it, unfortunately, because under the current um, animal cruelty laws in this country, the 1911 Protection of Animals Act, you have to actually physically hurt an animal for it to be a crime. So just putting an animal out in the cold for a bit too long so that it barks a bit more than, than it should do isn't actually against the law. Now, the new animal welfare, um, animal health and welfare bill, which should be coming in next year, that will change things a bit, so people will be forced then to to look after animals in such a way that they 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 you know um, the quality of life becomes something which people have to pay attention to. So um, you know that's probably down the road. In, in the short term, for that dog, you know I think the best thing would be if you could do this, have a conversation with your neighbour. And I know it's not easy to do that sort of thing, but you know, do something like say, would you mind if I take your dog for a walk? You know, put yourself out a bit and and actually intervene directly. And you might be surprised how things could be improved. Yeah. Um, and there was another one came in early in the week, a little terrier that's next door to me and it never sees outside the back garden. Now, this is probably actually the same mm. texture, very worried about this. Yes. What should this texture do about it? Because obviously they've got in touch with this twice. Well, you know? I, I think... I think th- like I said, I think that they should... I mean, you know, if you go to the authorities, what are you going to do? You're going to go to the, the, the local authority dog warden and he's going to say to you, look, I really can't do very much because, you know, that animal isn't specifically suffering in any way. OK, it could be walked more, but the dog warden's not going to knock on somebody's door and say, you should walk your dog more. At the moment, they certainly aren't going to do that. So, like I say, I think the best thing is direct personal, inter- personal intervention. If you can do it, just knock on the door and say... I'd love to take your dog for a walk. Would you let me do that? And don't get, don't be too critical. Don't, don't try and up the ante. Just offer to do that, and you know, get a relationship going with the owner. And like, I don't believe people are um, deliberately cruel to animals in that situation. It's just something which kind of happens, and they mightn't even realise that their neighbour is feeling critical of them in this way. Okay, thanks, Pete. That's Pete Weatherburn, our vet.